You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, everyone. My name is Colin. I'll be doing scripture reading today. So we'll be covering 1 Samuel 7 and 8, uh, but it won't be in, we won't be covering the whole chapter. So we'll be flashing the verses here. It'll be easier to read from here instead. Okay. 1 Samuel 7. They took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab. A long time has passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I'll pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and fasted and said, We have sinned against the Lord. Now when the Philistines heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they went up against Israel. And when Israel heard of it, they were afraid. And Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Samuel took a stone and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the, land of the, and the hand of the, of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Yet his sons took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel came to Samuel. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Obey their voice, but show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons, and he will appoint for himself to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields. He will take the tenth of your grain. He will take your servants and the best of your young men and put them to his work. You shall be his slaves. You will cry out because your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you. But the people refused. They said, No. But there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, 
and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. These are the true words of the living God. Thank you so much, uh, Colin, for that. Okay, so we've got two chapters to uh, work through, chapter 7 and chapter 8. And the big idea, the main idea which we're getting at in chapter 7 and chapter 8 is this idea of God being a king. And God is a king that you either accept or reject. God is a king you either accept in chapter 7, that's what they did. In chapter 8, he was the king they rejected. And the idea is... The way you accept God as a king is through repentance and through faith. That's how you accept him as king. If you want to reject him as king, then you dispense with forgiveness, at least repentance, and you dispense with faith. And uh, in many ways, these two chapters are sort of inverse mirrors of each other. Chapter 7, the people accepted God as king through repentance and faith. Chapter 8, they rejected God as king by forsaking repentance and uh, doing away with faith. Okay, I want to tell you a story about one night in 2017 when I was still working as a lawyer at 6 Battery Road. And uh, it had been the end of a long day, about 7 p.m., you know, when it's rush hour on the MRT. And I was making my way down to the MRT in Raffles Place. Uh, you can actually throw up the picture of it. I got you a slide. Uh, okay, it was way busier than this. It just, there are these escalators like this which are draining into the MRT and the Tons of people on it, and I was, you know, you sort of absentmindedly watching a rugby video or something on YouTube as you're making your home from work, and uh, I was about third from the front as the escalator was coming to the bottom, and there was a little old lady first, and there was a lady behind her second, and the little old lady tripped and fell, and uh, the next lady then tripped as well and fell, so now we've got the body count is two at the bottom of this uh, uh, escalator. Now, being... Six foot three and 82 kilograms and growing, by the way. I had this decision. I, was, I couldn't jump over them and I was going to fall on them. Someone was going to get injured and it wasn't going to be me. So what happened in a flash? Because I have the reflexes of a jungle cat. I, you notice this middle thing down the line, the silver thing. I don't know how I did it, but in one move, I jumped up, turned myself in midair and landed on all fours pointing up the escalator. Three questions came to my mind immediately. Number one, is it illegal to do this in Singapore? Is this vandalism and will I get caned? Question number two was, that was athletic. I hope they got that on CCTV. The third thing I thought was, this is a great metaphor for repentance. You're going in one direction. There's trouble and drama. And to properly repent, you need to get off the escalator, change your point of direction, and turn 180 degrees. And that is the metaphor I want to use today <laughs> for repentance. Okay, so coming to our story, verse 1 of chapter 7. They took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab. Now, for the benefit of those who are new and haven't been tracking with us in this series, God's people weren't interested in God being their king. They wanted a God for hire. They wanted a God for hire. They wanted a mercenary God. A God who would just do their bidding and win their battles for them. And what they did was they got this Ark of the Covenant, which is holy furniture in God's world. 
God's temple, and they weaponized the ark to use it to defeat their enemies. But the enemies defeated them. They lost the ark. Finally, and this was the sermon last week, the ark got brought back to Israel. But they don't know what to do with it now. They don't know what to do with this ark. And so what they do is they just leave it at Mr. Abinadab's house. They're a bit confused. In verse 2, it says this, A long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. For 20 years. They know they're wrong with God. They know they've messed up big time. They've now got the ark back, but they're very nervous of this ark. And they're lamenting. They're crying. They're grieving. And this goes on for 20 years. But here's the thing. Just being sorry about your sin is not repentance. Just lamenting that you've messed up with God is not repentance. It's like being on the escalator, going in the wrong direction, knowing you're in the wrong direction, but then trying to walk back up the escalator for 20 years without properly repenting. That's what they were doing here. And so my repentance principle number one this morning is feeling sorry about your sin is not repentance. You can just go round and round and round like you're treading water for 20 years. You can feel so bad about your sin. Feeling bad about your sin is not enough. You need to repent of it. You need to get off the escalator, turn around, and face God completely. Well, this is exactly what happens because after 20 years, verse 3, Samuel said to the house of Israel, I'm reading here in verse 3, if you are returning to the Lord... He's saying to them, guys, make up your mind. You've either sinned, then you need to make right with God. Or if you don't think you've sinned, well, then that's a whole different discussion. But if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals, those are the false gods, and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I'll pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and fasted and said, we have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against the Lord. And what's going on here, if you want to use my escalator analogy again, is these people... Not only were they feeling bad, they're on escalator number one. They're feeling bad about the whole ark thing. 20 years, they're sort of feeling sorry, but they're not really repenting. But on escalator number two, what we discover is actually they are worshipping Ashtaroth and Baal. These are false gods. These are non-gods. These are rival competitor gods to the one true god, to the one true king. They've made Baal and Ashtaroth their king. And on Escalator number two, Samuel is saying, look, if you are going to return to God, then you need to absolutely get off this track you are on, and you need to do a 180 degree turn. And this is how it's going to look. You're going to have to put away these false gods. You're going to have to put away the false gods, and you're going to have to turn, and you're going to have to serve the Lord only. And you're going to have to do it with your whole heart. And so repentance, true, godly, biblical repentance is comprehensive. It's your whole heart turned from 
all wicked things and only serve the one true God. So, repentance principle number two. Repentance is putting away plus turning towards. Principle one was just feeling sorry is not enough. Principle two is proper repentance is a turning away and a turning toward. By the way, I just want to throw this in here. Ashtaroth was a goddess. She was a female god. And the people believe that Ashtaroth, well, she was the goddess of war and sex. War and sex. Two of your most important things. War and sex. You go to Ashtaroth. They were on the escalator taking them straight to Ashtaroth on those two important issues. And so here we see that to make, because this whole passage today is about making God the king. The first way you can make God your king is by repentance. If you repent, if you bring yourself under the jurisdiction, the authority, the kingdom, the kingship of the one true king who is God, then uh, you have made and established him your king. Your first way to do it is through repentance. Well, reading on in the story, verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they went up against Israel. And when Israel heard of it, they were afraid. And Israel said to Samuel, Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound against the Philistines, threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. So this is very dramatic. They say to Samuel, we want to get off this escalator. We want to do a complete turn. We want to serve God and serve him only. Samuel says, thank you. Let's gather at Mizpah, the whole nation. They were having this religious service. They probably weren't ready for war. They were repenting. They were making God their king. And in this moment of vulnerability, the enemy attacked immediately. And here is a great uh, truism which I've often observed, is that often when people make a good decision and they repent and they move towards God, it's often then that the enemy throws all his weaponry at you. It's like you repent, you make a good decision for God, and then suddenly the enemy wants to come and knock you off course. And this is exactly what happened here. Immediately, their repentance is tested. Immediately, their repentance is tested. But here's the great thing about having made God your king through repentance. Here's the great thing about repenting and coming under the authority and the kingship and the jurisdiction of God, is that if you're under him through this process of repentance, God is truly your king, and God will fight your battles for you. When you make right with him, when you make him your king, the true king then becomes your king in battle to defeat your enemies, to defeat the Philistines which are coming at you. And this is precisely what happens here, is God the king fights against the Philistines on the behalf of his people. 
So this brings us to repentance principle number three. Repentance is the hors d'oeuvre. Faith is the main meal. Repentance is just the hors d'oeuvre. It's just the starter. It's just the way you get into the meal. The real meal is walking by faith under the authority and the kingship of the one true God. But it's got to go in that order. And we looked at this a couple of sermons ago. You can't ask, when you're not right with God, you can't expect God to fight your battles. Your first move is to be right with Him. It's to repent. It's to bring yourself under the authority of the King. And it's from there that you exercise faith that God might fight your battles for you and win your battles uh, on your behalf for the glory of His name. So at this point, I just want to make a quick observation about what's going on here. I want you to be aware that these people came to Samuel, and they said to Samuel, we don't quite know how to repent. Samuel helped them to repent. But then when the Philistines were coming to attack them, the people said, we know we need faith, but we just don't quite know how to have faith. And Samuel helped them to have faith. And so this is my observation. Repentance and faith are more easily done when Samuel helps. For the people, they didn't quite have it in them to repent, and they didn't quite have it in them to have the faith necessary to overcome the Philistines. So they looked to Samuel, and Samuel helped them to have repentance and to have faith. And uh, at this point, I'd like to share with you how this passage has applied to me this week. Now, on Tuesday morning, my wife and I had an argument. Now, what I can say is that she was completely wrong, and I was absolutely in the right. <laughs> That's just because I have the microphone. No, it was absolutely the other way around. So I was nasty to her. There we go. Confession in front of you all. Now, when you are nasty to your spouse, the last thing you want to do is pray. Or if you're not married, you are nasty to your friend, or you're nasty to your parent, or you're nasty to your child, whatever it may be. The last thing you want to do is pray and get into God's presence. Well, you know what I felt Jesus do? I felt him put his arm around me and say, you don't have it within you to repent, but I can take you to my Father, and I can help you repent. I'm on good terms with the Father. Because I'm in high standing and right standing with him. Why don't you come with me and I will help you make amends. And my father will always forgive you. And Jesus helped me to repent. I'm fighting a few Philistines this week. I don't really have the faith to fight the Philistines. Okay, I'm moving on to a new story now. I'm not giving you all the details. We've all got Philistines that we are fighting. Sometimes you just don't have the faith like, God, this just seems so overwhelming. Work seems so hard. Well, this problem seems too big. I mean, something that's intractable. You just don't have the faith. Well, you know what I felt Jesus do this week? Put his arm around me and say, I've got faith for you. Let me bring you to the Father. So Samuel is a figure, an imperfect figure, showing us what Jesus does for us. In our own selves, we really struggle to have repentance and to put faith in God. But Jesus Christ wants to help you. If you're in Him, if you're a Christian and you're in Him, 
Ask Him to help you repent. Ask Him to help you to have faith. Which brings us to the conclusion of chapter 7. God helps us to repent. God helps us to have victory through faith. So, questions to you, now that I've uh, shared my soul. What about you? What do you need to repent of? What career war are you fighting that you're looking to Ashtaroth? And what deep need for sexual intimacy are you going to Ashtaroth for to fulfill and not to God the King? If you are going to things other than God for your career, maybe you're looking to your boss or the company or this, the, the company payout scheme, whatever it is. If you're looking to that in your war, that's a form of Ashtaroth. Or if you're looking to something other than God to satisfy you sexually, pornography, a dating site, some person in particular. And if the truth be told, you're not really trusting God, then you're on an escalator going in the wrong direction. You need to turn. You need to put your faith in God who can help you. That's my question for you. What do you need to repent of this morning, second question, what battle are you facing? What battle are you fighting? How, can I ask you to ask Jesus to help you have the faith to confront the things which are confronting you? And just like uh, the example of God doing a great thing against the Philistines, when we are right with Him, when we are in Christ, when we walk with Him, when we soften our hearts to Him and ask Him to be our King, then the King can help us fight our battles. He is good and kind. And for those of you who are not Christians at all, and you may be exploring the faith, and maybe your question is, I just, I want to repent, I just don't know how to. I want to have faith, I just don't know how to. Can I ask you to go to Jesus, who is kind, and who can help you, and wants to help you, and wants to unpack and show you your sin, and help you in your process of repentance? Can I ask you to go to Him? Can I ask you if you're needing the faith, but you just don't feel you have the faith? Can I ask you to ask him to say, Jesus, can you help me to believe in you? I have faith, but help me. I have a small faith. It's a bit of unbelief. Help me to overcome my unbelief. There's nothing that he wants more. And if you need help with that, you can certainly speak to me or uh, any of the leaders here. Okay, that's uh, chapter 7. Let's uh, kick on to chapter 8. And chapter 8, well, the big idea here is... If you want some tips on how to reject the king, then you just do what the folks did in chapter 8. They dispensed with repentance and they dispensed with faith. So in the verse 1 and 3, we read this, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Yet his sons were rotters. Okay, that's my word. It's not in the Bible. Yet his sons took bribes and perverted justice. So the people looked at this. They were like, Hannah, you were such a model of faith. Hannah had a son called Samuel. Samuel, you were such a model of faith. But then it fell apart in the third generation. The sons of Samuel, the grandchildren of Hannah, are these wicked people. They have no faith. It was all going so well when Samuel was around. We were defeating the Philistines, and we're a people of faith, and we're a people of repentance. But now we've got no one to lead us. We're certainly not going to trust those guys is what's going on. And the big moral of the story here is that... When you can't see a solution, 
When you can't see a solution in the natural, you can't see a solution in the sons of Samuel. When you can't see a solution, your next step is always faith. Sometimes life is not that clear. You get into a problem. You can't quite see through it. You don't know how it's going to work out. Your next step, instead of relying on yourself, your next step is faith in God. That's the big moral of the story in chapter 8. They didn't do that, by the way, but that's what they should have done. They also became a little overconfident. They'd been whacking the Philistines for years. They'd got all their land back. They were on good terms with God. They became a little arrogant, a little overconfident in how things were going. And when you become overconfident, you don't need God as much. You stop repenting. You start taking matters into your own hands. And that's exactly where they got themselves. Because in verse 4 and 5 we read, Then all the elders of Israel came to Samuel, and they said this to him, Behold, Samuel, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Then they make an unreasonable demand. Now, Samuel, appoint for us a king to judge us, and he has the key phrase, like all the nations. They wanted a secular king. They didn't want to exercise faith and trust in God anymore. No, let's be done with that. Let's get a system. Let's get a king. Let's get a secular king. We don't need God. What we need is a circular king. A circular king will fight all our battles for us and give us the things we need. They took matters into their own hands. We don't need to repent. Repentance. Out the window. Faith. Who needs that? You know what's better than faith? A king. Who will serve us. That's where they got to. And if you jump down to verse 19 and 20... It says this, the people refused. They said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also, repeat the phrase, may be like all the nations. We don't want to do things God's way. We want to do things the secular way. And that our king may judge us, and listen to this, and go out before us and fight our battles. What are they doing? God has just done this incredible miracle Answering Samuel's prayers, wiping out the Philistines, getting all their land back, and they say, let's stop with that MO, and let's get ourselves a king who will really fight our battles. They dispense with God as the king. And so uh, this is my insight from this. The lust for control and self-success is an ever-present danger for God's people. It's always at the door. It's like this desire in us to take control. That's out of fear and out of arrogance to self-succeed on our own terms without reference to God. It's an ever-present danger for God's people. Well, if that's what you want, says chapter 8, the writer, the author, that's really the way you want this to play out. Well, let me show you what that looks like. And what happens next in the chapter is the writer is absolutely frank with you about the reality of putting your faith in a secular king as opposed to the true king, who is the divine one and only God of the Bible. So let's uh, get honest about the reality of displacing God as king. And uh, I'll give you three reality checkpoints but at least the writer does, 
of uh, a secular king. So reality of a secular king, number one. It has a great advantage, and this is the selling point. The advantage of having a secular king and not the true king as the king is that you no longer need repentance and faith. The advantage of having a secular king and not needing reference to God is, well, you no longer have to deal with God through repentance and faith. Okay, now, just imagine you are my marriage counselor. I walk into your office. I have a problem with my marriage. Or, if you're not married, just you've got a problem with your friend or you've got a problem with your parent. And uh, I walk in and I say to you, I'm having marriage trouble, but don't worry, I've figured it out because I'm an IT genius. I have designed an app. This app, when I sin against my wife, like I did on Tuesday morning, all I need to do is punch into the app. It's a chat bot. All I need to do is punch in the facts of the argument, and then the chat bot will email her with an apology. If I need to be romantic and send her a poem, I will just plug into the chatbot that I've designed and it will send her a love poem from Perch. Now, this is the craziest idea you can have because you are now using something in between to conduct your relationship. That's not how repentance and faith and relationships work. This is what the people did by installing a king. We don't have to deal with you, God. We'll just deal with the king. But we'll make it look like we are this Christian nation with a Christian king. But we'll just set the king up and this bot in between. So we don't actually have to deal with you directly. That's how we will conduct our relationship with you. That's what's going on here. And so reality number one of when you appoint a secular king, in the short term, it's got a great advantage. Ah, you don't have to do repentance and apology. You don't have to have faith. You don't have to relate directly to God. You can dispense with all of that. Well, there's a problem because uh, if we read in verse 6 and 7, but this thing displeased Samuel. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the Lord of the people. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God says, these people have rejected me. By asking for this king or this intermediary, the secular king, they're actually rejecting me. They're rejecting me from being king over them. Jump to verse 18. Later, God says, you guys are going to cry out because of your king. Your king's going to let you down, whom you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you. And so reality number two of installing a secular king to displace the true divine king is this. It comes with a great disadvantage. Those who reject the true king get rejected by the true king. Those who reject the true king down the line will be rejected by the true king. Go back to my bot used, being used as, to conduct my relationships how long do you think it will take for the other party in that relationship to think, this is crazy. I'm just communicating via some piece of technology. It's going to take some time before that person is going to say, that's it. This is not a relationship that I want to be in or be a part of. Or at least in its current status, it's got to change. And here, that's what God says. If you really want it like that, the time is coming when I'm going to reject you. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. 
Thirdly, the third reality is uh, you will be enslaved. You will be enslaved to this king. Verse 9 through 17, obey their voice, give them a king, but then show them what this king will look like. Verse 11, uh, he will take your sons. Verse 12, he's just going to use you for his own harvesting and his own war. Verse 13, he's going to take your daughters from you. Verse 14, he's going to take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he's going to overtax you. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. Verse 16, he's going to take your servants. He's going to steal them from you and put you to work. You're going to become his slaves. Reality number three of installing a secular king instead of the true king is that you will end up becoming a slave to this king. Okay, what's the conclusion to this chapter, to chapter 8? This is how I put it. The conclusion is this. God loves his people to deal directly with them by faith. God loves his people. God loves us when we deal directly with him by faith. God loves that. God wants a relationship with us. God wants fellowship with us. God wants us to walk with him and to know him. To know him interpersonally. To know him in a direct sense. God doesn't want to deal with us through some chatbot or some artificial construct where our hearts are not with him and connected to him. God wants us. God wants our company. God wants us to want his company. God loves us. God came down to earth as Jesus Christ to die for us, to wipe away anything that hinders us from knowing him in a direct sense. God loves it when we are direct with him. God wants to put you in Christ, into Jesus, so that you can know him in a direct, immediate sense, without having anything to mediate between you and him. This is the miracle and the wonder of what Jesus has done. And yet so often we install kings, secular kings, as it were, by analogy, in the place of having a direct relationship with uh, him. How does this apply to my life this week? I asked myself that question as I was preparing. Well, as we are thinking about ECP and ECP going forward, it would be so easy for us just to run this church by having some system or some structure or some program or some policy document where we can just get onto autopilot and we can arrange ourselves and organize ourselves really well and then just dispense with having to trust God and follow Him and listen to Him and go step by step, day by day. That's the hard way of doing church, trusting Him, relying on Him, not knowing the future, agonizing over where you're going, how we're getting there, having to risk, be vulnerable, put your faith and your trust in Jesus as He leads the church. It's so much easier just to create systems and structures. And so uh, one thought or reflection I had as a core principle at ECP as I was uh, preparing this uh, sermon is this. Church leaders lead by letting God lead. Church leaders lead by letting God lead. And if we can expand on this principle. Church leaders lead by letting God lead by operating with repentance and with faith. And so that's what I would love us to be is a people of faith, a people who walk with the true king, a people who follow him, a people who know him, people who hear from him, 
A people who don't try and put some system in place to get rid of God, but who actually are vulnerable and go day by day, step by step, following the true king. And so uh, to end, let me ask you a couple of questions and application. What about you? Do you have a secular king in place? Do you have a secular king in place that you are trusting for self-success? Do you have, have you installed something in your life where you don't really need to speak or deal directly with God, but you've got some facility where uh, you can take control of your own life, you don't have to be vulnerable and trust God and rely on Him and have some element of walking blind in the darkness as you learn to live by faith, but you've factored God out through some apparatus or some system. Is that you? Have you done that? And then my second question to you is this. In what ways are you impersonally relating to God? In what ways are you impersonally relating to God? What's your bot? What's your thing that you've put in place where you don't really have to deal directly with God, but you've got some religious practice or system where you don't really need a reference to Him? Because if you're operating like that, then the big point of chapter 8 is that the true king has stopped being your king. You've put him off the throne, and you've put something else, maybe yourself, in its place. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you that you are the true king. Thank you that you rule and you reign. Thank you that you've opened the way for us in Jesus Christ to come to you and to know you and to relate directly to you. Lord, help us to be like the people of chapter 7 who walk with you, who know their sin and who repent. Help us not to be like the people of chapter 8 who got tired of you and dispensed with you and wanted to install their own system and their own structure to make their way in life. Lord, may this be a church of faith. May this be a church of people who radically follow you, who radically obey you, who desire you, who desire fellowship with you above all things, who are aware of their sin, who are quick to repent, who are quick to have faith, who are quick to trust you, who are quick to rely on you. And Lord, may all the glory be yours. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.